I received an email today from, uh, I don't know, an at, atheist, maybe a, an agnostic. It was an email that was sent into uh, the Krishna.com website. And sometimes they forward me a few emails to answer every month. So the question was raised in the email why do you believe in some God? There's no scientific evidence whatsoever <laughs> to support your thesis. There's no proof. You have nothing to give as, as, as tangible. Uh, I responded, yes, we have no proof. We have no proof to give those that simply want to acquire all knowledge through their senses, their empiric senses. Natashri Krishna Namadi Nabavigrahamindriya. With these senses, senses in that verse are indriyas. So we have some senses, ears, eyes, nose, taste, feel, knowledge-acquiring senses, working senses. We have senses. These senses aren't going to reveal God to us. What a dilemma we're in. With these senses, there's no God to be found. So why we pursue some higher knowledge why should we accept this conception, this Krishna conception, when there's no proof? That's an interesting point. What makes us go towards this, in this direction? What draws us to seek out, first of all, anything above and beyond what the senses give us? Why shouldn't we just be content? We can hear some nice sounds, see some nice beautiful things in the world, smell some nice fragrance, have a variety of taste, big variety. Fat tasting is one of the major things for the living entity in this world. We can feel so many nice things. So we have no answer to the atheist, the agnostic. In fact, the environment, this environment, works to their advantage. There's constant reinforcement of the atheistic conception. So many things are happening in the world to make one say, is there someplace, somebody really in charge? <laughs> No. Well, we do have some evidence. And this evidence also can begin with our senses. We observe in the world that not every living entity is on an equal platform. We don't all start, start out, at least in this life, with the same facilities. So in this way, the Bhagavat, if we carefully study what Veda Vyasa has given us as the topmost theistic science, the complete commentary on the Vedas, and the Vedas are accepted by great saintly persons, both past and present, as the primary evidence to the existence of the spiritual realm, to the existence of a supreme entity, and to the existence of something above and beyond this material body that is our true self. So the Vedas give this evidence. 
And the Bhagavatam speaks to us with knowledge of how through intelligent observation of the environment we can perceive the supreme in the environment and within ourselves. And if we can hear attentively this Bhagavatam, we can rise above our tendency to simply rely upon what our senses give us. We have a tendency in this world to only believe what we experience of this world. Well, the Bhagavad gives us excellent knowledge of how to observe the world. And Krishna also in Bhagavad Gita, which is just one tiny section of the Mahabharata. The Mahabharata is considered also the fifth Veda, is it not? So we're given there Krishna's indications as to how we can perceive the supreme in this world. So we were given a new sloka, a new verse for the Bhagavad Gita when we were out in California in the Redwood Forests and observing these trees that were two to three thousand years old. Imagine trees that have been here prior to the advent of Jesus. They've been standing in the same place that long. The speaker, the day we were walking through the, uh, through the forest of the redwoods, we, we came upon a sadhu and he gave us a little speech. And he said, there's another verse that we could add to the explanations that Krishna gives in Bhagavad Gita. What was that verse? Do you remember? Of trees along the redwoods. Of trees of Northern California. (laughs) Of ancient trees. Of ancient trees. I am the redwoods of Northern California. I've stood the longest. And this way we can perceive the Supreme in so many ways. And the Bhagavat teaches us this this methodology. And the other key thing that's revealed in the Bhagavat is the revelations that the individual soul can have which are independent of sensual input. So the Bhagavat gives both revelations gives revelations of how to see the Supreme in this environment with our senses. And it also gives revelation as to what has been perceived beyond the senses by people who have purified their existence. So we're, we're somewhat prejudiced when it comes to what scripture we accept and what conception we accept. We're seekers of the truth and we want to accept the highest conception. And we base our acceptance of the Krishna conception, the Gaudiya conception, we accept this based on the revelation of three things. Scriptures, great saintly persons who have experienced spiritual advancement through diligent practice and revelation, and an individual teacher who can show us the way of properly understanding ourselves, this environment, what the great sadhus have experienced, and what the scriptures truly mean. Guru, sadhu, and shastra. 
these things in conjunction can fully enlighten us in the Krishna conception. And if we can learn this, these interrelationships of the environment and ourself and purify our existence through some simple, nothing beyond our capacity. In fact, Krishna recommends in Bhagavad Gita we not take on more than what we can handle according to our capacity. Nothing false. It's natural. Spiritual life is a natural inclination. And it's adjusted according to time and place and circumstance by the guru. You do like this. We're prejudiced. We have not been presented with any conception of ourselves or of the Supreme Lord or of that spiritual realm of existence which we can't perceive with our senses. We have not come across anything as beautiful and fulfilling as this Krishna conception. If you come across that, you bring it. Let's hear. I'm open. As you should also be open. Never close off any source of true spiritual knowledge. But there will come a time in your spiritual practice, in your sincere endeavor, where, where you will personally have revelation which will make all of the knowledge and the practice, the simple practice following the instruction of the guru, into a revelational experience. We find throughout Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks of it. What's he mean when he gives us this verse in the second chapter, 59? What is that? Visaya Vinivartante. As long as we have yet come to the point of experiencing our spiritual self. We're still going to seek pleasure on this plane. It's inevitable. But there will come a time where the spiritual taste of our true existence will trump all material experiences. How's that verse there? Param Vistvara? What is it? Do you remember? Yes. What's it mean? Uh, Param? By higher taste, developing higher taste, you can, you know, easily give up. Yes. The lower engagement. Easily. The other taste will trump all. Great Acharya. What was it? Yamuna Acharya? Is that it? When he thought of material enjoyment, he just wanted to spit. Ah, please. (laughs) I'm not interested in that. There's nothing there. That is, that is the ultimate purpose of this Sangha and pursuing this Krishna conception you will attain a higher taste. The material, all the material things and misgivings you have, the things that trouble you day in and day out, will dissipate. They will, if you just sincerely take to this chanting process. Sincerely follow a good guide. Sincerely learn about Krishna. Hear about Krishna. Worship Krishna. Krishna Katha, this hearing about Krishna, is the primary method for our purification. Just this hearing. Just hearing about Krishna. Either hearing his name in meditation, together or individually. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. 
Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Hari. There's this, these names for Krishna contain everything that's necessary. If you just went off and could chant 24 hours a day in due course, everything would be revealed. Most of us aren't there yet where we can just do that. Therefore, we have to have classes and we have to sing together and we have to eat a lot of prasadam and, you know, we have to do so many other things. But if we could just do this chanting, it's all meant to bring us to this platform of chanting, purely. Once, just once, if we can chant purely with no other motive, free of offense, our life is perfect. It's that simple. Getting from here to there may take a little bit of work on our part, but rest assured, everything is contained there. So, what did we do last week with Bhagavad Gita? Yes, sir. So, uh, we, in our tradition, we put so much stress on chanting. And uh, like you mentioned that practically there is nothing more required than just chanting the, the Lord's name and everything comes from there. When we compare with other traditions, they don't, you know, even if the chanting Lord's name is, is, is present to some degree, you know, they don't put so much stress on it. I'm wondering why is that? You know, why, why, for example, you know, like, what, they, they couldn't get the same kind of mercy like we, or, you know, they could not, they were not qualified to receive, uh, or to go to aspire for the same goal what we are aspiring, or you know, why, why is such difference between between this process, which seems to be so simple compared to all those other traditions, and uh, you know, and, and ultimately seems like they don't they don't have enough stress on the on this what is really the most important in their in their spiritual practices. There's two things. First is, we can acquire some qualification for this, as you said, mercy, getting what others may not have. And that is called sukriti, piety, pious activity. But specifically, pious activity in relationship to true saints, people that are actually Krishna's devotees, the Lord's devotees. That means those great saintly people that do not have any material motivation left in their heart. Their heart is so pure. So We can perform some service unbeknownst to us to such saintly people or even to God himself in this particular way. That may be one way that we can acquire this mercy you're speaking of that this Krishna conception that we feel is the highest and this chanting which we know has a, a positive effect. We can experience this chanting is actually spiritualizing our existence. may not feel it right in the beginning, but in due course, we notice that those that do take to this process seriously do acquire some spiritual taste and realization. So there is that, and there is the unbounded mercy of the Supreme, which is primarily distributed by his pure devotees, or he may even come himself. Yada, yada, he dharmashya. It's a matter of that good fortune. It truly is. And the good fortune is truly available to everyone but not everyone takes advantage. If it's raining outside and we run into the cave, we may not get the benefit of a good shower. <laughs> Does this indicate some partiality by the Supreme Lord? Not really. Everything's happening. Not a blade of grass moves without his sanction. And he explains in the Bhagavad Gita that 
different men approach him with different intent, sankalpa. As they approach him, he reciprocates accordingly. And that it is only of the four general classes of men that approach him, it is only those that have risen to the platform of spiritual knowledge that can really appreciate him. And that they're one in a million. He doesn't say one in a million, but he does qualify it, doesn't he? After Out of so many thousands, one may approach him. Out of so many thousands of those, one may actually be in knowledge of him. And out of all those, one may actually know him in truth. This Krishna conception, we do challenge the world and everybody in it to take advantage specifically in this age uh, with the mercy, the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his munificence in distributing this mercy uh, far and wide. We beg everyone, please take advantage. Not everybody is interested in God. Not everybody's interested in the, on the highest conception of the Lord. Some are content with their conception. Some don't seek anything beyond that. Some are become so sectarian and closed-minded in their conception, they can't see beyond it. In this group, we have some people with broader intelligence. It would certainly uh, be to our benefit to tell anyone and everyone we come in contact of this Krishna conception, this highest conception. And we challenge, not of our own volition, but we can challenge on behalf of the Supreme Scholar, Shaitanya Dev, anybody to put forth any conception of the Supreme and we'll compare them side by side. Let us see. So there are many great yogis. There are many people that have much in the way of knowledge. But this conception of the Supreme, which is, includes the beauty of Raj, is nowhere to be found. And if some great saintly people can provide some higher conception, some conception higher of, higher than having a loving relationship with the Lord in one of five primary rasas, and the highest rasa being that of, of conjugal affection, uh, as exhibited by Srimati Radharani, let them come forth and give their conception. It's there for everybody. We're not, the door's open every week. We haven't locked the door. <laughs> some people will take and some people won't take. We know the majority will are not interested. Their interest in God ends at the doorstep of personal fulfillment in sense gratification. That's all they're interested in. And that's unfortunate. When they can acquire enough knowledge and piety to realize that there's a lot more to God than simply order supplier, then they'll come to this sangha. Yes, ma'am. Free of karma. Free of karma. Yes. And then the positive numbers are where the love comes in. The love of God. You know, love and reciprocating. Reciprocal love. I thought that was very interesting. I mean, it really came, it really showed me something I had never thought of before. I still appreciate that. Good. Does that answer your question? Fully? All right, so moving on. 39, I'm just going to read a little English and we'll discuss a little bit, try to move forward. Fourth chapter, we've been kind of really concentrating on understand, understanding what is guru, 434, 35, 36, 37, 38, 
were more or less an understanding, those five verses following, and also this 39th verse. These five verses explain what actually is it when we, that we receive, how can we distinguish what we're receiving from the bona fide spiritual master. Text 39, a faithful man who is dedicated to transcendental knowledge and who subdues his senses is eligible to receive such knowledge. And having achieved it, he quickly attains the supreme spiritual peace. There's your answer. One, a, a, a further explanation by Krishna himself. That someone's dedicated to spiritual knowledge. He has a desire to acquire knowledge. Atato Brahma Jignasha. Even though he's come to the human form of life, he has a little inquiry. Well, how did I get here? Where did I come from? Is there God? Do I have a soul? When he comes and starts making these inquiries, that, the sadhus tell us, the scripture tells us, that's truly the beginning of human life. That distinguishes the human beings from those living entities that have yet come to that level of intelligence. What does that mean? That means there are some of us living entities who are in a human body that aren't yet human. Scripture says human means I use my mind to ask this question. How in the hell did I get here? Where did I come from? Why was I, what is this, the experience that I'm having? Or where am I going? That's a good question too. (laughs) How can I get out of this place? As uh, the 60s rockers would say, we got to get out of this place. A faithful man who is dedicated to transcendental knowledge and who subdues his senses... Ah, another qualification. Not only do you have to want to know what is spiritual knowledge, what is transcendental to this realm of empiric inspection, you have to turn the senses down and look inward to some extent, not letting the senses drag you outward at every moment of your life. Now, we can't turn the senses off entirely. Of course, I could hear Nama's mind. Well, I heard. Mm-hmm. If I can control my breathing and control this, I can turn my senses off. Yes, you can. To a great extent, actually. But never entirely. Why? Because we're conscious. And consciousness means what? Cognition. We perceive things. Even you turn off everything coming in from the outside, there's still something to be heard from inside. And we're bound to make mistakes and cheat, etc. Up to the point of realization, yes. But you can turn the senses down, like a bottle on a TV, right? Yes. And that's what it said here, right? And who subdues the senses. Doesn't really say turns them off. Has them under control. Has them under control. I may wa- my tongue may want to eat anything and everything. <laughs> and I say, listen, two slices of pizza is enough. No pepperoni. That's going to be painful. Intelligence means a little ahimsa. Of course, I can't breathe without killing living entities, but still, do I have to slaughter those that I use for my physical sustenance? Purposely, intent, my intent is to take advantage? Not a good idea. We have to subdue the senses. He's eligible to receive such knowledge. Sincerely, 
sincerity of intent. I really want to know what is transcendental. And can't be drug around. I have to be able to control my senses. Control for the aspiring spiritualist is dictated by the bona fide spiritual master according to our time, place, and circumstance. According to the culture we're in, things are adjusted. According to the body we are in, things are adjusted. According to our circumstance, Krishna's external manifestation, the Lord within, sends the teacher from without to give us a a system of what? Bhajana Kriya. Yes, third item. Adashrada Tata Sadhu Sangosa Bhajana Kriya. Bhajana Kriya. Chant. Particular fixed number of rounds according to your capacity. He may adjust. So the third item, after you meet the Sadhu and you have his Sangha, his association, his good counsel, then what? Bhajana Kriya. Do these things. You follow these simple, this simple prescription that I give you and we'll get these senses under control. Next verse. But ignorant and faithful persons who doubt the revealed scriptures do not attain God consciousness. They fall down. For the doubting soul, there is happiness neither in this world nor in the next. How do I know what a revealed scripture is? Here's Krishna himself talking about revealed scriptures. How do you and I know what is revealed scripture? Anyone? That we can observe what is the true transcendentalist by his character his spiritual character we can observe and we can be given direction. And in the direction, he's giving scriptural reference. He's validating the scripture and the scriptures what? Validating him. They're a complete support system here. The scripture is telling us This is what a sadhu should be. This is how he should speak. This is how he should act. This is the knowledge that he should be imparting to you. And the sadhu is saying, this is a scripture. Read it. You'll find in it the knowledge that will help you advance in transcendental understanding. Coming down. Is it it not, would it not be uh, correct to assume that Shraddha faith precedes all of that yes that's what this verse we discussed today earlier today you and I begins where Srila Rupa Goswami explains in this verse is from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu originally and then it was penned in, Shait- in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami it all begins with faith. If you don't have any faith, then what's going to make you listen to a sadhu? What's going to make you read a book of knowledge and give it any significance whatsoever in your life? Many people, and here again to validate what you just said, Bhagavad Gita was here. In the English language, so many editions were available and no one was becoming Krishna's devotee. No one was using Bhagavad Gita to advance to the topmost realization. As Krishna explains in the 10th chapter, Rajavidja Rajaguyam Pavitram Idam Uttamam. No one was coming to this realization of transcendence until what? The sadhu gave us what? 
the same Bhagavad Gita, but qualified as it is. Here's Bhagavad Gita's teachings the way you are meant to hear them. First of all, it's not an allegory. Krishna is the Supreme Godhead. He is personally speaking. What a concept. And the personal realization of the Supreme is the topmost. And the topmost realization of the Supreme is not when God displays his opulence and power as he does in the 11th chapter. He shows his universal form. So many faces are there and fire and brimstone is there and all the universes are coming from him and going into him and it's, it's God. But until the pure devotees said, uh, explained to us that Arjuna said, hey, let's turn this stuff down a little bit. Can we just get to this forearm conception can you show me that? I can't take this. Seeing all your energy manifest in this, it's overwhelming. No. Can I see you as God? No, let's take it a little more intimate. Can I see you as I know you? And Can I actually again relate to you as the friends we are? I mean, I beg you, forgive me that I used to sit on your bed, that we used to eat together as equals. But you know, in my heart, there's nothing more I'd rather experience right now than that intimate friendship. That's Bhagavad Gita. Until we receive Bhagavad Gita as it is, who gave us these insights of understanding a loving relationship with the Supreme in transcendental love, in friendship, in parental affection, in conjugal attraction, in servitude? No, they had no idea. Why? Because they didn't know Krishna. Why? Because they weren't a true guru. According to what? According to Bhagavad Gita. Where in Bhagavad Gita? In this very chapter, 34th verse. What is his characteristic? He can impart knowledge unto you. Why? What's his qualification? Seeing the truth. That seeing of the truth goes a little bit beyond the intellect, doesn't it? Darshan, being in the presence of the Lord. Yes, but that's, that's what we're talking about. Actually seeing Krishna face to face and relating to him personally. So they support each other, the guru and the scripture. And all the conclusions reached by all the other spiritual masters coming in pure disciplic succession. Evam parampara praptam. That's how, at the beginning of this chapter, Krishna explained the transmission of transcendental knowledge. It's coming one after another. First I imparted it. And they imparted it, and they imparted it, and they imparted it, and it's coming down in an unbroken chain. What? Free from defects. We mentioned this earlier. Imperfect senses, illusion, tendency to cheat, making mistakes. We're all prone to those when our activities are simply centered on exploitation. Once we Krishnize, all of our activities where there's no sense of exploitation, then we, just like the bona fide spiritual master, become a sadhu. You too could become a sadhu. That's what Krishna consciousness is about. We want to be sadhus. And 
The guru is teaching us and the scripture is teaching us and the sadhus are teaching us and the Krishna's devotees are teaching us. The sangha of the association. All these things are contributing to purifying ourselves to the platform of becoming a bona fide sadhu. Pure devotional service. Free of unwanted desires. In the beginning, there'll be some desires. In the beginning, what? Anartha Nivriti. Bhajana Kriya. Bhajana Kriya means we're working on it. Doesn't mean we've got it already. A little knowledge does not a professor make. A big storehouse of knowledge, yes. Then the degree is granted. Similarly in our spiritual life. A little Krishna consciousness does not a sadhu make. But step by step, one thing after another is tossed off. The anarthas fall away. When the anarthas fall away, steadiness comes. We can eat steadily. We can practice our yoga steadily. All these things will make us come to the, to the highest platform of sadhuism. <laughs> so are there any questions, comments? But generally our imagination, just to add to what you're saying, our imagination is in the beginning based on what? What we've perceived with our senses. So imagination takes us so far to contemplate what are our possibilities. Generally in the beginning our imaginations are based on what we've experienced in our life. And then we mix those together and can come to a conception of possibilities. Our possibilities, especially when someone puts forward possibilities of our spiritual prospect that are substantial and are substantiated by those that have also arrived at that same spiritual conclusion based on what? Realization. So there is a platform above imagination where there's spiritual revelation. And that revelation requires what? We turn off both the set, we turn down the senses. We can never turn them off entirely. As long as you have a material body, your senses are going to be experiencing things in this world. There's no question of turning them off. Well, I believe that uh, Einstein, I think, once said that, or may have said, I'm not sure, um, within the non-spiritual, at least, that imagination was the, was the highest form of intelligence. That basically, as far as what we're, you know, without imagination, Stephen Hawking couldn't come up with the things that he comes up with, basically. Einstein wouldn't have been able to come up with certain things either. And so that path leads, leads us to unknowns Within the physical realm. Being the platform then to, you know, if you need it, towards what you're speaking. It takes you to the realm of experimentation. It takes them, the material scientists, to the ultimate limit of their appreciation and perception of the material elements. 
Transcendental knowledge is coming from a different plane. Transcendental knowledge is, is descending. It's transcended. It's coming down. A purushaya, right? It's coming down from the Supreme. As we read when we opened tonight, what? Unless God wants to give it to us, you'll never know it. You'll never have it. We'll never be able to see Krishna until Krishna decides, I can see there's some real love in that person's heart. They really do have a greed for me. They really have given up everything to please my devotees. We draw the mercy of the Supreme through these activities. Spiritual greed, selfless service to Krishna and his devotees, and hearing transcendental knowledge that is above the realm of sensual experience. It takes us to that realm, but unless the door is open from the other side, all the pounding in the world, all the knowledge in the world, all the imagination in the world, all the austerities, all the charity, everything that we do can only take us to a point. But yes. Points of imagination might you know, help us become human in a way. The, the answers question. Yes. Tato Brahma Jignasa. And then to, to, to get to you know, maybe the next I'm, I'm not putting down imagination at all. No, no, it's a great I tool. I but I'm trying to make the point that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's still within the realm of material experience. It's still the material mind that's giving us these conceptions. Transcendental knowledge is coming, descending. Yes. Um, well, imagination is sometimes, I mean, can sometimes be speculation, which is totally discouraged. It can be. You said speculation is like gambling. It is. Speculation is gambling. We do not discount the empiricists' revelations according to their own imagination. In other words, imagination is certainly a tool used by the materialist to advance material knowledge. As he said, you're not going to have an Einstein, you're not going to have a Hawkins, you're not going to have these theories of... Now, sometimes these theories only take man... We know they only take them so far, and they're constantly being what? Rethought. And what do we find out? The world wasn't flat. And actually, the atom wasn't the smallest thing. And actually, this concept of... What's the what's in vogue now? Uh Quantum physics, this quantum understanding of time and the linear and all. I don't even know what it is. I can't, you know, I have, (laughs) my brain isn't that big. I could never understand their their arithmetic. But they certainly use arithmetic and the imagination of their arithmetic to arrive at formulas that advance them in science that give us what? Light bulbs, that give us what? Computer chips. But what I, I think what I was bringing up was that they say not to um, whimsically, you know, Prabhupada uses that word, like not to, but just tell what your guru told you. Just pass that. When it comes to spiritual knowledge, yes. Two different realms of knowledge. You're right. We don't want to mix the two. What? Now you will find that generally, and and it's funny that material, that, even the high, at the height of material scientists use their imagination, they come to the understanding of the zero that allows them. And where's that coming from? That's come to, coming originally from the spiritual tests, texts. So yes, it, it would be nice if mankind could simply go immediately to the Veda and say, this is true knowledge and let me be satisfied here but sometimes not everybody can come to the conclusion that way. Some people have to use experiment. Some people, you can tell the child, that's a fire, it looks like this, and, that, and guess what else? It has another characteristic, and that other characteristic is it's hot. 
It's so hot. If you put your hand in it, it can hurt a lot. But sometimes some experiment is needed for us to experience. Even, even the guru is saying, if you engage in these activities, they're going to interfere with your spiritual progress. So we can hear Rupa Goswami say, what? Eating too much, sleeping too much. The six, what are the six unfavorable things? Let's look at these. Because this is a good example of what the guru will say, but we may not not be so so keen and so quick. The rules and regulations for the sale of or neglecting them. Yes. Very good. Eating more than than required or necessary. While you're looking for that, Gulal, I wanted to say something about imagination because. you know, it seems that it can serve, uh, in a way, you know, spiritual understanding. For example, um, you know, like Krishna's pastimes, you know, we imagine them, you know, we visualize them. That's imagination, you know, for, you know, with a spiritual, you know, uh, for spiritual understanding. You mean we're reading them? We have to... We're using our imagination to understand them. We're visualizing, you know, those pastimes. We're seeing them. We're, you know, we have a, we have a, it's a, you know, it's, we have a taste. That's a different seeing, though. That seeing is different. What, how do they refer to that seed? Jhana, knowledge. Yeah, the, the, the eyes of knowledge. No, Shakshu or, or Shastra Shakshu, yes. So we're seeing, but how are we seeing? We're seeing through the eyes of the charyas who have written down these pastimes based on their revelation. Right, but we still have to, you know, we're processing it, I'm hearing about it. But I guarantee you, your imagination of this pastime and your experience of the pastime will probably, they're good. This remembrance of the pastime takes us to a point, and the point is the point of revelation. And when we actually experience firsthand then what we've perceived with our material senses and our mind has conjectured as spiritual reality will be superseded by transcendental revelation. Does that make sense? So, yes, our imagination can be used just as anything else can be used. We use all of our senses in Krishna's service. So, yes, we use our imagination to conceive of spiritual reality. But transcendental revelation will always trump sensual experience. Does that make sense? Well, we have to use our our ears to hear when we chant. We have to use our eyes to read when we read. So we're using our material senses in a transcendental mode. Ah, and when we use... That's what she's also... Well, I'm saying there's a sort of a level of my imagination that is not, you know, it's... I mean, we don't discount anything, okay? What I'm saying is your imagination will only take you so far. Your senses, your senses in perceiving the form of the Lord are being spiritualized. Similarly, your mind in imagining this is how Krishna's hearing from Scripture Right. And imagining, according to what our ex- sensual experiences is, are, that spiritualizes the mind. Right. Like, I'm going to hear a pastime, and, you know, we might be hearing the same pastime, but I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm having some other flavors or, you know... That's right. Uh, but, a, both minds, like, <laughs> but both minds are becoming spiritualized right. by the process. Right. But my imagination is in play because I'm seeing certain things where she might be seeing Your mental imagination is definitely in play and it's becoming spiritualized. What I see is a duality. The duality is at some point when you reach the spiritual plane, the source changes. The induction comes. Before, you're ascending through imagination, building faith that's 
that's substandard, that's not spiritual. Yes. A boss, it's called, right, it's not a boss. The induction and your faith is no longer fueled by that, it's fueled by the induction, by the revelation. In the chanting of the holy name, there's a stage called Nama Bas. So we're chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. And to the extent that we're still influenced by material desire, that there's still some anartha, that may even still be some aparad to the holy name. We still have, we're still, we're purifying ourselves. The, the mirror of the mind is becoming clear. This platform of our practice is a boss. It is a reflection. It is a shadow. But as we continue to practice, it becomes pseudonym. Pseudonym means we purely hear the holy name without any influence of prior conditioning. The mirror of the mind is completely cleansed at that point, and the Lord is fully reflected from the transcendental realm without material interference. So, so would you say that the neophyte, someone like myself starting out, they're constantly in a process of approaching that plane, approaching that plane, sliding backwards until they finally get their grip in one day they get initiated, then they go further, and then and then hopefully through time, they're not having that struggle as much anymore because it's it's the heart is becoming cleansed, right? And Sri Rupa Goswami explains those step by step advancement, and it's important for us to know where on the steps we are and where we're headed, and that's it's it's a simple program. Yes. I just wanted to more or less say what he's saying that uh, that uh, like is saying that we can use it and we have plenty of examples of uh, you remember you maybe you remember the Pasamanga Chaitanya was going to Vrindavan from from mm-hmm. uh, from Bengal and this one Brahmacharya was sitting and meditating and building the whole road for him mm-hmm. you know just he was making sure that Lord Chaitanya's experience of the travel was. Super excellent. Yeah, but he was doing everything in his mind. Yes. Sitting somewhere under the tree. So definitely this aspect of meditation or or imagination is is a very powerful tool in the in spiritual life. Nevertheless, it is done under spiritual guidance. Where the where the the friend was uh, our friend was telling before, you know, the, the how I understood how he used the imagination on the beginning and uh, that we don't have the, how to say, we are not connected with the spiritual guidance yet Mm -hmm. and we are using it as the tool from the material perspective. You know, so, so... uh, And that's not what I was really talking about. I wasn't talking about... Yeah, so they are two different, like, you know, this is different kind of imagination that this was what you were talking about and, uh, and both of them are there. One, one is on the material platform, other is on the, on the spiritual platform. Anything that is connected to Krishna. And I'll put a little, little, little mm-hmm. quotes around that. Under proper guidance, anything in our activities that's connected to Krishna under proper guidance is going to ultimately result in pure perception of spiritual reality. So what we may see Krishna here in the deity form, but I may not yet be able pure enough to see Krishna's actually there. I may not see him winking at Radha. I may not see him dancing. But if I guarantee you if I serve his form day in and day out and come to the platform of serving purely Suda, Suda Archana, Archana means worshiping the deity. If I come to that fl- platform, he will talk to me. He will tell me there's a piece of tea lock in the corner of my eye. Could you please remove it? It's giving me some discomfort. He'll give me some opportunity to serve. So similarly, as I'm thinking and I'm imagining, 
imagining what is it like for people to serve Krishna with full emotional bhav, with love in the spiritual realm. Krishna is taking note of that. And at a certain time, he's going to say, no, it's a little bit like this. Walk through that a little deeper. But if I'm, you know, if I'm using my mind to think of Krishna, to think of how I would serve Krishna in that, Krishna is accepting that service. Another story that goes with the one Krishna Nam was just giving us. That someone was preparing a feast for Krishna. He had no means. He was a simple, he had no money. Therefore, he could only create the feast in his mind. But in his mind, he was cooking the sweet rice and making the sweets. And at a certain point, it was time to make the offering to the deity. But he knew the sweet rice, the deity doesn't want to have hot sweet rice. What if he burns his tongue? Do you really want to serve your guests some sweet rice and some burning liquid? And it, Oh, no. Better that I touch it. See if it's cooled down enough that I can serve it to Krishna. He's doing all this in his mind. What happens when he touches it? Ouch! He looks at his finger and it's burnt. He's doing the service in his mind, but all of a sudden he realized, well, it's not my mind. I'm really doing the service, and I'm really burnt now, and I shouldn't serve it yet. So, we'll close with six things that we were very cautious of in our devotional practice. The sadhus tell us what Achyahara Priyasas Cha Prajalpa Niyamagraha Jada Sangas Chalauyam Cha Sadbir Bhaktir Vinashyati. Once devotional service is spoiled, when he becomes too entangled in the following six activities. I'm losing it right now. I can see the first one I have trouble with. Eating more than necessary. Or collecting more funds than required. But I don't have the trouble with the second half of that one. The eating, yes. Collecting more funds, I need more funds. If you have any... I'll collect them. I know where to use them. Those I use for Krishna. Over-endeavoring for mundane things that are very difficult to obtain. Make your best effort, but if everything in the environment's working against you in your pursuit to do some service for Krishna, sometimes we have to back off and say, okay, I did my best. It's just not going to work. We don't over-endeavor. We don't beat our head against the brick wall. Talking unnecessarily about mundane subject matters. I got a trouble with that one too, but I'm trying. <laughs> I still like to hear the news. Uh, practicing for the sake, practicing rules and regulations simply to f- practice the rules and regulations not with the intent of making spiritual advancement. Are we a follower of God or are we are a follower of rules? God gives us the rules, but when the rules dominate to such an extent that we forget God, then we say, oh, I'm the most renounced. Oh, I'm the most austere. I eat the least. I breathe the least. I'm the best of the, you know, weird stuff. Don't go there. Five, associating with worldly-minded people who are not interested in Krishna consciousness. And six, being greedy for mundane achievements. We'll note, we'll go through, we should actually study this book. It's a great book. All these verses. The first four verses of this Doctor of Instruction, Upadesha Amrita, are the sixes. Four verses of the sixes. But we notice in both the second verse, where we're told what to avoid, and the third verse, 
where we're told what to do, what's favorable. Utsahan In both the verses, association is emphasized. Abandoning the association of non-devotees. So in the last verse, don't associate it with what? Worldly-minded people. And then the positives, abandon the association of worldly-minded people. That's how important that both in the do's and the don'ts, the yama and the niyama, Srila Rupa Goswami's saying this same, making this same point. I'll stop there. Any other questions? That last one's hard to do. What's that? Abandoning um, association with worldly persons. Well, we can uh, we can still be in their association, but we don't we don't pl- place much significance to their desires. We try to give a little Krishna consciousness according to our ability. We're not drawn into the web of what they feel are the true values of life because their values are misplaced, unfortunately. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Guru. I wanted to share that uh, when we were in New York, we went to the Brooklyn Museum, and there's a, an exhibit. We'll see you next week. Uh, what's the title of the exhibit, Shamal? You did. You want to speak with him? India's Hindu God, something like that. It's a very beautiful exhibit. He's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. He went kind of late, so we didn't get to really.